4: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Hello and welcome to a musical journey like no other. This is 33 with William Patrick Organ. This is the 32nd step on this interstellar musical expedition. We're just one step away To the epic conclusion, will Shiny get vaporized? Can Shiny escape his doom? Is all hope lost? Well, we're going to find out as we continue to follow the story of the new Smashing Pumpkins album, Autumn. Don't forget those first two acts are available now on your favorite streaming platforms. If it's your first time listening, welcome to 33. You're coming in right at the very end. If you've been with us since the very beginning, thanks for being fans. Thanks for tuning in. On this episode, we're listening to and analyzing the latest single from Autumn. That's right. We're talking about spellbinding with Smashing Pumpkins frontman Billy Corgan. And on this episode, we're also going back to a classic track all the way back to 2007. We're listening to United States off of the album Zyke. Geist. As you hear this, we're in the middle of the World is a Vampire Australia tour, and on our next episode, we'll be recording Down Under. Isn't that exciting, Kyle? It
6: is, and we are at the penultimate episode of 33. If you're listening, as this drops, we're just days away from the entire reason for the podcast, autumn release date being April 21st. And as Joe said, we are going to be doing a very special Q&A episode with Billy, where we'll answer your questions, hashtag Billy33. The three of us likely will be huddled in a room together for the first time ever recording. We finally did it right at the end, gentlemen. As always, make sure you like, subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening via iTunes, Spotify, iHeart app, or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you go over to wpc33.com to continue the Pod Conversation playlist, lyrics, all that jazz. Smashingpumpkins.com for merch and concert dates. And the World's a Vampire August, September U.S. dates are on sale now. And as a a guy who uh, may or may not be in Australia at some point when you're listening to this. The current tour is very exciting. I'm happy to be a part of it. And Billy, I know you're happy to be a part of all this because let's face it, this is your vision. This is your deal. These are your brands and here they are coming together. It's all happening.
7: You know, when I've had success, everyone tells me how smart I am. (laughs) When I don't have success, everyone tells me how not smart I am. So I'm, I'm trending back towards the smart category. You know, I would say my great Achilles heel in life is I like to be told that I'm right. So I have to very carefully refrain in moments like this in my life, from sort of, um, what do they say? Uh, you know, you break your you break your hand from patting yourself on the back. Look, it's important to give credit. You know, the NWA, I like to say, we had an issue the other day with the talent and I wrote the talent back and said, we are a team, you know what I mean? So this is a team issue. I know you're making it about yourself and I understand that, but understand that we're a team. So we're going to get through this as a team. And I appreciate your efforts here on the 33 Podcast Show. And Kyle, same with the band. You know, it's a team effort. Yeah, there are times I stand on a stage and I'm thinking, you know, we're playing my songs and this is my band. But look, behind me is Jimmy Chamberlain. You know, we played over the last 35 years. I think we played together somewhere in the, in the neighborhood of 25 of those 35 years. We've had various bands together. James and I started the band. We've been through a lot, but we certainly started with very humble beginnings. And so I never forget that, which is why I always like to stop in the middle of the concert before we play Tonight Tonight, sort of look over at that guy and think, man, Because it's crazy that just you and I started this crazy boat ride called the Smashing Pumpkins. And look at all the great things that have come out of it, including my ability to fund uh, the National Wrestling Alliance and even this podcast, which, uh, you know, I took on as a business endeavor to help promote the autumn album. So if you're here, we appreciate you because you're part of that team
5: as well. Let's go right into the track. I'm super excited to talk about Spellbinding. All of the singles that have come out from this album have been big successes, and I, I'm, I'm so happy for that, especially when you start to hearing the melodic stuff that's coming from Spellbinding. It's also one of these songs that's later in the album, so we're deep into the story. Where are we now? Sure.
7: Well, let me say, uh, speaking of... Uh, the, I'll, I'll pat somebody else on the back. The radio team at 30 Tigers doing a tremendous job. This song was number one most added at Alternative. Empires was number three most added active rock. So now the Pumpkins have three active singles in the market, probably for the first time since 1996, if you want to do the math on that. So lots of um, success to go around. So a credit to everybody on the team on that one. In terms of the story, we have reached the end. We are at the end. Yes, we're not at the last song, but we have reached the end. There's a little bit more to go after this, but we have pretty much reached the end of the story. And you can't see Kyle's eyes, but they got all googly to uh, quote Harpo Marx. Happening. So here we are, I'll reframe. Last we remember, we were in a standoff. There was Shiny and Ruby on one side, Osyraa with the laser ray uh, in front of them and behind Osira, or off to the side, I guess, to make the, the visual of the triangle, the X and I with their laser rays tra- trained on Osyraa. What is going to happen? What is going to happen? You want to take a guess before we jump in, because I always love this part. So,
6: I was listening to this, and the lyrics take me away, I'm going to find you. It's a feel-good poppy rock, and I- I'm all for it this morning. I'm about to get on a flight, and it just made me get a vibe there. Synth, let me something I say no to. This felt like happy closure to me. So, I feel like there's a happy ending here.
7: Okay.
5: Joe, you want to take a gander? I, I, I'm i going to go the exact opposite route here. Uh, that Ruby, oh, uh, Ruby pulls the trigger. Ruby. shiny
7: sorry you mean Osira?
5: Osira, excuse me Osira pulls the trigger and uh and shiny's mortal coil has left this realm but perhaps shiny is never gone
6: very good But wait, wait that's the happy ending then release release <laughs> is yeah happiness. just getting
5: shot that's real happy kyle good times good times then with my you don't laser suffer
7: gun. anymore you got this okay let's go to the guy who made this song <laughs> okay here we go here's the final final part of the, the narrative. Again, there's a little bit more on the last song, but um I'll give you this much. There's that. What's, can you do that thing again? Kyle. Ooh, oh, ooh. Wah,
8: wah, wah.
7: What? We don't like my. There
8: you go. The
6: great
7: uh, Morricone. Uh, and Neo's doing, a, doing that music. Uh, yeah, I was going to say he's a much bigger fan of Joe. Okay. So you have that moment in the movie where everybody's stalled and kind of looking at each other like something's gotta happen, right? It doesn't seem like anyone's gonna put their uh, their laser rays down. Osira, in her emotions, in her hopes and dreams and aspirations, she hears what Shiny has to say. She hears Shiny's dare, go ahead and shoot me. So guess what she does? She goes ahead and she shoots him. But, yeah. but don't forget, standing next to Shiny, is a robot with far more uh, advanced technology than a human being and in that very instant, and of course using the you know six million dollar man uh, Ruby can tell what's about to happen before it happens and throws her body in the way of shiny to save shiny <laughs> that where I am with this alliteration again so the shot hits Ruby in the face, permanently scarring. Ruby's beautiful face, and in the and in the rush of what happens, because remember, Osiris' hand was shaking because she did really really didn't want to pull the trigger. The ex and I rush Osira, and tackle her, to keep her from uh, getting off any more shots. Uh, they certainly don't want to kill her, because he's, she's more useful to the regime alive than dead. They don't want a dead martyr on their hands, so they tackle Osira, and in the maelstrom of the moment, and of course. Ruby is disabled. Shiny grabs Ruby, reels back into the open capsule. Ruby has prepared the, the launch for takeoff. Uh, and of course, certainly after 20 years, Shiny's very familiar with the spacecraft, pops the door closed, hits the magic button, and off they go into space.
6: Take me away, I'm going to find you. Take me away, I'm
7: going to find you. So I want to say, not the worst.
6: <laughs> Joyful. <laughs> there was here, a shooting. Here we, here we go. None of us were wrong well, in our own died. way.
8: I'm just saying
6: nobody died. And folks, you know what that means? The story can continue beyond this. Are you vying for another podcast or? No, I'm just, I, I like the fact that as a creator, you have seen that stories, they continue. Even when we think that we have a logical conclusion and that things have come to their the end of which which our hero's journey is, there is always going to be something else that could happen, be it with that person, that character, that being, or the people that they've affected in a way that that journey, that legacy can go beyond.
7: So I'll leave you with the last visual. Ruby, of course, in the ship, disabled, kind of, you know, kind of half alive, half not alive, kind of leaning back in the co-captain's chair, looking worse for wear. And then shiny, looking forward to wherever they are going the two of them together and shiny is happy because he's free see
5: joyful joe but is he but is Come he on, free man. well no one's really free that's right <laughs> i mean it we're in the in this in this autumn universe escaping into space i mean it's it's still a reachable place you know it's like you're driving down on the highway but you could still be pursued and then the X and I, they still have a grudge. They still have their hands full. So there's a lot of open doors of where we can go from this point even.
7: Look, we enter this world, of course we don't realize it, but we enter this world with with a timer on us. So you could say we're never truly free because at some point, you know, the guy with the scythe is going to show up and say, uh, you know, wave the crooked finger and say, off we go. And uh, depending on who you are, if you're Kyle, you're going, uh, not quite to heaven and not quite to hell.
5: Purgatory Kyle? <laughs> Gonna
7: haunt the hell out of you, buddy.
5: Gonna haunt. <laughs> Kyle's going to purgatory.
7: Well, they have wrestling in purgatory, so it's not all bad. <laughs> oh, that's that's that might be hell, actually.
5: <laughs> <laughs> They're all dusty finishes.
7: Exactly, yeah. Uh, that's too inside for everybody here. That is here.
5: really inside.
7: Google anyway. it, gets- uh, so we have a we have a timer on us. So when you and your future wife Joe are holding hands on a hill someday, and the sun is shining, and you're happy, and and uh, you know perhaps you're expecting your first child, or who knows, right? And you feel like, wow, I'm happy, I'm in love, everything's great. Is it time to go? Hey, by the way, I'm really not not free. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Is my point is is freedom is an existential state. And if you read any religious texts, that's sort of what they're always pointing at, and that's the message of Jesus Christ, is, and, and so, is, so is the message of the Buddha. Uh, is freedom comes from within. It's a, it's a psychological and spiritual state. If you are bound to the body, if you are bound to this life, well, you're, you're never going to be free. So when I say he's free, he's free from what has ailed him, his attachments, his sense of self, his attachment to his name, his attachment to what people think of him. for the, Maybe for the first time in his life, he's free of all that. He's let it all go. What do they say? Let go and let God. Or in my case, let go and let Kyle.
6: <laughs> you could pick a higher deity than me, man. Now You're going to fall apart if you're, you're having faith in that.
7: I'm just going to leave that right there. So when we come back, <laughs> when we come back, we're going to hear... Spellbinding. Now, of course, it's already out, so it's not a world premiere. But um, I'll give you a little bit more information on the track Spellbinding as part of the intro. And if you haven't heard it, stick around.
6: Now available for pre-order at MadamZuzu's.com. The autographed 4LP box set of Autumn. The new album by The Smashing Pumpkins. This 4LP colored vinyl pressing is limited to 1,333 units and will be machine numbered and autographed by The Smashing Pumpkins. Billy Corrigan, Jimmy Chamberlain, James Eha, and Jeff Schroeder. The limited edition box set includes the three-act 33-song rock opera that is autumn and 10 exclusive unreleased songs over the course of five seven-inch singles that will not be available for streaming or found anywhere else. Go to madamsuzus.com to pre-order today. Free shipping in the USA, three-unit limit for order. Pre-order will ship after April 21st, 2023.
7: Welcome back, friends, to the 33 Podcast with William Patrick Corgan. I am your utter host with Joe, Galley, and Kyle Davis. I hope you're enjoying this second-to-last podcast on the 33 series. I can't believe we've made it this far. I can't believe I'm still alive to even be talking to you. But here I am. Let me give you a little more information on the track Spellbinding before we play it. You know, um, I hinted to Kyle that there's just a little bit more narrative, and of course, he brought up the lyric, Take me away. I'm going to find you. Well, who is Shiny going to find? We will learn that on the next 33 podcast and the last of the series. But for now, please enjoy Spellbinding. <laughs>
5: Welcome back music fans. You just listened to Spellbinding, the second to last track on the album Autumn. Billy, when we get to a point like this, I mean, where where are you emotionally? Is there like a sense of accomplishment that you're at this far? Is it starting to stir some more creative juices to continue to create some more stuff? Like where do you get when you start seeing something a light at the end of the tunnel, I, I guess you could say?
7: Are you talking about in the recording process or in this sort of part of the emotional process of the music coming out?
5: I think the music coming out like when we're here and you're seeing the response?
7: Yeah, um, it's kind of like it's different than I thought it would go. And I would say overall, it's better than I thought it would go. I'm always a bit shocked, and and I this is probably a lesson I need to learn, but I'm always a bit shocked that most people are not that into detail. I'm very into detail and details. That's why I like to read uh, people's biographies. I like to read magazine articles about how things are made, even if it's stuff that, by and large, I'm not interested in the thing being made. I'm interested in how people made something. But by and large, most people are not detail people. They kind of like the end result of the Willy Wonka machine. So there's always, I guess, a little tinge of disappointment. This is my own personal thing. I wish more people were into, uh, for example, at this point, if you would ask me when we started, I would think I would be seeing maybe some fan art. I haven't really seen much in the way of fan art uh, with people sort of taking their own stabs at the characters. Stuff like that. I tend to think more in terms of collaborative spirit, and I love when things engender other uh, creativity. That's why I always try to repost when people send me covering my songs or their interpretations on certain artwork or iconography from the Smashing Pumpkins world. I just love that type of stuff. So I'm still hopeful that the project will engender that kind of energy. But on the musical side, as far as like people listening to the jams and enjoying them and the success at radio, I mean... It's a 10 out of 10 so far. Without belaboring the point, there is, let's say, three things you have to navigate for a band in 35 years and counting. One is the perception of the music business from within of your internal value. And uh, it's no uh, great mystery that for a certain amount of years of those 35, there were large swaths of the music business that considered the pumpkins dead. That doesn't mean can't play any more shows. That means you're down in like the county fair circuit. You're good for the reunion packages and stuff like that, but you are not a band that has a future. So thankfully the Project Autumn, which talks very much about Shiny's future and past, has given the Smashing Pumpkins a future that for the last 10 to 15 years has been a real struggle to establish the people inside the music business. And if you don't think that people who aren't in business with you don't have influence on what happens, you're wrong. People who work for other artists, people who uh, manage other bands, people who book tours that you're not even on, they have an influence in terms of how you're perceived. It might be as simple as somebody having a conversation like, hey, did you hear the new Smashing Pumpkins album? And the guy or the girl across the table goes... Who cares about them? They've been dead for 15 years. I'll never listen to them again. I can't stand that guy and da-da-da-da. That might color that person's impression because the person across from them is somebody in the industry, and their impre- their impression of the, the brand's value carries weight. So that's one thing. The other is, of course, let's call it the average or common fan. It's not really worth, in this context, talking about fans that haven't heard the band or don't know the band because that's sort of like, that's the great unknown. Because let's face it, there's 7 billion plus people on this planet that have never heard of Smashing Pumpkins. And I'd sure like to get to them, but we'll find out if I do. I'm talking about people who have come in contact with the Smashing Pumpkins along the way over the last 35 years, maybe heard a song, maybe they know a song, they don't even know who sang the song, but they have some, or they bought a record or something. So you have to navigate that perception, and that perception oftentimes follows the industry perception because it ties in with the media. So if the media and the business thinks, eh, you know, your better days are behind you, blah, 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 there's kind of a vibe there that permeates the general fan that says, hey, Taylor Swift is 800 times more important than the Smashing Pumpkins, where I could show you a piece of paper that says that's not numerically true. But if the perception is 800 times, well, you're dead. You know, not dead, dead, but dead enough. And then the last thing you have to navigate is of course those fans that have stuck with you the entire time, who've taken those journeys, and they really are the people who pay attention to details. But as you can imagine, they oftentimes are the greatest critics of the band and maybe rightly so because they know the difference between like A-level work, B-level work, this B-side, the thing that most fans would know. Or they might be biased, of course, because they came of age at a time that the band was coming of age and their emotional attachment is based on an album like Adore or something. Or it, in some cases now, because it's long enough, an album like *Zeitgeist*, and we're going to play a track off *Zeitgeist* of here coming up. So navigating those forces, so all three segments of those things that I just said, the common fan, the hardcore, really in it with you fan, and let's call it the business at all and the media by extension of that, we have convinced all three of those segments that the band has a future, and I don't mean a future playing the county fair. The band has a future that no one, but no one, pretty much, I would say it was under 5%, maybe 10, if I'm being generous, really believed that this band and me as the writer of this band, and me as the front person of this band had another round in us of high, high level work and achievement. And now that is in front of everybody. And I don't mean it's a done deal, like it's a slam dunk and we won the uh, the NBA finals. I'm saying is we're back in the game, baby, and the doors are open and it's up to us what we're gonna do with that. So if you wanna use the 90s timeline, are we at the end of GISH? or are we at the end of Siamese, or who cares? We just might be at the end of autumn and we're ushering in a new period. And so kudos all around to everybody on the team because that is a huge accomplishment.
6: You know, like an invisible string, that was the third Taylor Swift in three episodes we've done here. But moving on to that, you know, I'm thinking back to when we started this podcast, we were talking about, much like you just mentioned, Upside Geist. That was an album at the time when it came out that people kind of slept on and now decades later, people are like, oh, that's one of the the best Smashing Pumpkins album they've ever heard. And we're going to do the song later. Like you said, when we started this podcast, we were talking about how it's always hard to never know what is the thing that's going to hit with your audience because an audience is built with people from all over the world, different walks of life, different ages and different tastes, flavors and needs. So you never know what the thing is that's going to have resonance with them. And I think with this conversation we're having, one of the the greatest things you could take away is that something that when you started this said, people are like, why are you doing 33 tracks? Why are you doing concept album? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? It seems that it's resonating. And that in the moment, right now, as we're talking about this, whatever it is, whatever you created is is hitting the right time at the right place with the right people. And I just want to say that definitely from the outside looking in, as a guy who didn't create this, who's just helping you promote it and knows you, that is a, that's a win right there.
7: Thank you. I think it's, um, you know, I think it was last week. I wanted to talk a little bit more about magic and I don't think I quite got there. Here's the simplest, here's the simplest version. You can take the greatest artists, musical artists ever. And uh, if you want to argue with me, go ahead, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Elvis, Frank Sinatra, a band like you too if it's so easy to do for the greatest artists that have ever walked the planet, why can't they do it again and again and again and again? Why can't they just crank them out? Why did Elvis have down periods? Why has U2 in recent times struggled to find, I guess, a fourth act, which is almost unprecedented for a rock band? Same happened for the Rolling Stones. You know, the Stones from 1963 or so to probably about 1982 had an almost unprecedented run of high-level musical achievement. Since 1982, there have been moments and flashes, but certainly nothing that captured the zeitgeist, pun intended, like, you know, uh, Between the Buttons did or something, right? So the magic of making music, or the magic of the arts, is a mercurial process which I guarantee you the artists themselves don't understand. First of all, if you're given a God-given talent, and it can be a talent for anything— but a God-given talent that the world recognizes as a God-given talent. And that can be playing basketball or who knows. There's, there's, th- 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 those, those talents are self-evident. We know those people's names by and large. Even if they're the greatest pole vaulter in the world, I mean, people know your name. People are like, oh my God, there goes that guy or that girl. What I'm trying to say is, it's not a process that you can mechanize. You can try to mechanize it, and I have tried to mechanize it, but the magic of right place, right person, right time, right song, it's not easily reproduced. So if you want to look at the times of the Smashing Pumpkins where people didn't like the music or as much, like Tear Garden, and they were scratching their heads, what the hell is he doing? Those times to me are just as valuable as times like these. I certainly am want to take a victory lap and celebrate uh, that the wind is a little warmer and on my back for a change instead of cold and in my face, bad analogy of the day, but what I'm after is, if I could recreate it again and again and again, I would. But the process that created your favorite song, if you're a person on, listening to this podcast who has a favorite song of mine, know that that came in a way that was just as mysterious to me as it is to you. And if you want love in this life like I do, certainly I would have loved to give you more of that so you would love me more and, and, uh, and I'd have a private jet and all those things. But it didn't happen because... It's not as simple as just rolling a, a dice and, and then the dice always come up seven. Armand Mondo de Plantis, by the way, pole vaulter, best. That's <laughs> I love your quick googling. Or did you just know that?
6: <laughs> no, I'm a short man. I got no ups. That's why I also don't know basketball. But I was. Like, I believe in, hey, in my era, Dwight
7: Stone was the was the was the innovative pole vaulter of my time, and that would have been like '76 Olympics time. Um, I did six degrees of separation. I did get to once do a telethon with Nadia Comaneci, the great Romanian gymnast and the first uh, athlete to ever get a perfect score in 1976 at, on, at the Olympics in Montreal. What were you doing a telethon It was for? actually the last Jerry Lewis telethon that they did, the muscular dystrophy. No. And when I was a kid, I used to do uh, fundraisers in my backyard because I was so inspired by what um, Mr. Lewis was doing for muscular dystrophy. Um, and I used to watch the telethons. I used to stay up all night and watch the telethons. I just love them. So the very last year that they were broadcast, which that year that was broadcast on uh, Chicago WGN locally, I did the um, uh, the, the telethon uh, with uh, Nadia and her husband, Bart, who also was a great Olympian. I also, I think, a gold medal winner.
6: There's always another story. <laughs> the the life of William Patrick Corrigan touching on all the randomness that I could ever hope to ever know somebody substantially just just
7: check out these six degrees of separation when i was 11 years old on my birthday so that would have been uh, march 17th uh 1978 i was actually in the wgn studio the number one studio that they have watching a live uh taping of the bozo show fast forward to many years later we're taping the nwa wherever the heck we were uh i believe it was in nashville yes and uh david arquette former wc wc W World Champion, and also somebody I know a little bit and who's done business with the NWA, came to say hello and brought me a Bozo doll. And he's like, I know you love Bozo. I know you were on the last show. And David Arquette has bought the Bozo brand and is talking about bringing back Bozo as a show. And so there you go. There's your six degrees of separation. Wrestling, Bozo, and Billy. And the first time I
6: ever met you was... You guys hired me to host the press conference. Ah, uh-huh, very with David good. And a hair
7: versus hair match. That was that so was a lot of also fun. Also, welcome, Staying a lot that. Joe, you want to join the conversation?
5: <laughs> you know, you know, it's so interesting when we talk about clowns because you know, clowns. <laughs> no, it's it, because. Look, speaking of, are you getting speaking emails? Of clowns, <laughs> speaking of clowns, because clowns are one of those things where either you love them or you hate them. There's really not a middle ground for. Okay, people I'm
7: going to blow your mind now. Oh no! I'm going to blow your mind. Okay, Kyle, (laughs) you might want to put yourself on mute because we don't want to hear the sound of you exploding. Okay, now I can't claim this as a blood relation, okay, but the stepfather of my cousin Gene, who's a blood relation, Wally, is in the Clown Hall of Fame. So I actually have somebody in my family who's in the Clown Hall of Fame. Try
6: that one on. I'm so happy. I was worried you were going to say that John Wayne Gacy was a distant uncle or something like that. I got so no, worried no, 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 no. about clowns that it was going to get dark. But there's a clown hall of fame, and you were—it's in
7: your blood. Check this out. In my in my family relations, uh, we have a, a member of the clown hall of fame. Roberto Luongo is, is married to my brother's wife's cousin, who uh, was the goalie for— uh, Vancouver and played for the Canadian national team, won a gold medal. So my niece's uncle is a gold medal winner for hockey and played in the NHL for a good 12, 13 years. So we have some very interesting uh, connections. And of course, on Chloe's side of the family, you have a, a decorated uh, war hero and French resistance fighter against the Nazis and her grandfather. So we have, we have a lot of cool stuff going on in our family. So pretty much anywhere you point, I'm going to come up with a good story. Joe and I got nothing. You know, I, it's almost, it feels like this conversation has gone off the rails, but when you talk about clowns, there's, <laughs> I guess that's part of the point. That's what
5: you want. That's that's the, that is the whole point. And you know, are you going to have clowns at your wedding, Joe? Probably not. I should have some sort of like, at least a clown figurine and a short story, a long story I'll make short. My grandmother used to collect clowns. And so in her home, there were clowns everywhere. Everyone always got her a clown. Mother's day, birthday, there were just clown figurines everywhere And shortly before she died, I had this conversation with her, like, as an adult. And I was like, what's your love of clowns? She's like, oh, I hate clowns. I don't want these at all. (laughs) Someone got me a clown one time in the 60s, and I put it on the shelf, and everyone assumed I like clowns, and I just kept accepting them as gifts to be nice. Oh, my God. OMG. Blew my mind.
7: That's a mind blower. Wow. Because when you were setting up the story, I was thinking, Grandma hates clowns. (laughs) <laughs> and I was I was right. Yep, See, there you go. There was my pride it's again. I, I needed twinkle. to be right, and I was right again.
5: There were at least 300 different clown figurines, pictures in this house. Let's steer it back to magic. Like
7: Here's what I like about clowns. Here's what I like about clowns. I love the sense that you're going to sacrifice something about your dignity, something about the way you look, exaggerate and make yourself look comical, clownish, to use the word, to make people laugh to make people laugh. I love that because inherent in the arts is a form of sacrifice. Recently on Instagram, I posted a picture, I think of Bob Dylan in what appeared to be a solitary moment, writing down some lyrics or something, taken circa 1965, judging by his hair and his clothes. And I wrote something along the lines of like, no matter how you slice it, it's a solitary pursuit. I have spent thousands and thousands and thousands of hours sitting by myself with the guitar and a pen in hand trying to find something that isn't for me yes you can argue it's for me selfishly in that uh, you know I get paid and all that stuff but the intention of the entire act starts with I want to create something that makes somebody feel something better uh, emotional sometimes people say my music's sad as Kyle uh, occasionally points out to and I think you, you guys like to go right with the dark theme and I'm like no 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 you're wrong um, tortured artists not you know, but when you uh, and I got this somewhat from the cure, if you take a sad song, it it helps people access their emotions the uh, The idea is not to make them feel sad. the idea is to actually make them feel better. But in order to access those emotions, you have to come from the real you have to you have to present something. I heard that um, I heard I think it was George Jones or Charlie Rich the other day, I stopped loving her today. And and I was in the dentist chair and they're drilling away, but I'm hearing these lyrics. You know, it's like it's the moment where the guy, or or no, it, sorry, it's it's I start I started loving her again today. And it and he and he tells the story about how he'd kind of fallen out in love with his wife, and you know he stopped appreciating her, and then one day he looked at her and he real and he fell in love with her all over again. And I could tell you now that I've been in in a, in a relationship with Chloe for ten years, and looking at our beautiful children. There are moments where I just look across the uh, the table at Chloe and I just fall in love all over again. And I don't even know what that means. But when I hear that song, it allows me to access emotions that I wouldn't necessarily have on the surface of my my being. Back to clowns. I like that.
6: No, that, that hits home. There's a Dave Matthews band song where he's like, somebody's heart is broken. It becomes your favorite song. So yeah, there's there's definitely a whole thing about how you do put something the Do you know the connection the between Dave Matthews
7: people? band and Chicago? Didn't they start... Playing gigs in Chicago back No, in the day? there's a very famous incident. In full disclosure, we are with Red Light Management, which is owned by Corin Capshaw, who is the manager of Dave Matthews' band. And, and it's a great management firm, and we're very happy to be there. So I do not mean this story in any way to reflect on Dave Matthews, the band, or Dave Matthews, the artist. Great, great band, great artist. But this story is oftentimes tied to Dave Matthews because it happened uh, because it was a tour bus. Uh, it was a Dave Matthews' band tour bus. So in the Oh, Oh, this this is is the the over the bridge story. I'm so sorry, (laughs) Kyle. If if I could put you in, if I could put you in clown makeup right now, I would. I'm gonna (laughs) clown shame you. Anyway, as the story goes, the Dave Matthews Band bus was driving over one of the Chicago bridges downtown, which are graded, which means you know if you were to spill something, it would go down to the river below. Well, famous in Chicago is the riverboat architectural tour, where people pay a pretty penny to get on the boat, to go look at the buildings from the point of view of the river. It's probably the most famous tourist attraction in Chicago. So there, on a beautiful day. People are looking at the buildings. They're going underneath the bridge over the Dave Matthews, uh, 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 on, on the bridge above them over goes the Dave Matthews band bus. And as the band is, uh, as, as the, as the bus is going over, the driver decides to empty the toilets or the toilet on the bus and flush because it's a graded thing, flush the toilet contents to the river below where there's a boat full of people. So Google that one. On that note, when we come back, the great unifying track, because ever since I put this track out, you know, I put this track out in 2007 called United States, and it was all about how the country was falling apart. And thankfully, inspired by my song, the country has never been more unified and everybody's on the same page and we're looking forward to a bright future in America in the 21st century. So when we come back, the song that started it all.
5: music fans, you just listened to United States off of Zeitgeist and Billy, this is an ambitious track. You did it in a single take. It's almost ten minutes long. Do you get butterflies trying to do take on something like that when you wanna like, we gotta get this one thing and it's gonna be this massive piece of music?
7: Let me take a moment to praise my brother, Jimmy Chamberlain, who I could argue is one of the greatest rock and roll drummers ever, and right now on the planet, there might not be a better drummer in his prime than Jimmy Chamberlain. Jimmy Chamberlain plays this song in one take. Now, we didn't just do one take. This was about the 11th take of the day. It was a lot for Jimmy to take on, and normally, if you don't know the recording process, back then at this time, 2007, we were still using tape. The idea would be, you go... Let's use the first half of take seven and the back half of take nine you edit together. It goes back to the Beatles and stuff. You can even look up some of the famous Beatles recordings are spices of two takes together. This is not uncommon in the recording process. So it was one of those things where we've been doing it for about four hours and we do a couple takes and then take a break because it was so physically demanding on Jimmy to do it and, and, and the level of concentration was off the charts. Management at the time, uh, no longer our management, came to visit just as we were about to do the take that you just heard. I think it was take 11 of the day. And I think something about management being there gave Jimmy just a little bit more pep in his step. And he went out and cut this take. And man, it give it still gives me goosebumps. It gave me goosebumps then. Now, let me set the scene as I like to do. I'm in the control room, playing the guitar, sitting on a stool, looking through the glass, watching Jimmy in, in the other room, play in a room with nobody. He's just playing drums by himself. The level of sparks coming off that drum kit. When this guy's lighting that thing up after after eight, nine minutes, it's it's, it's awe-inspiring. So that's what I mean about team. Yeah, I wrote this song and I'm proud and, and, I, and I love this song and I've played it many times in concert. I have busted guitars to this song. I've done it all to the song. In fact, we even had one time, we had the Jim Corneliuson of the uh, Chicago Blackhawks who sings the national anthem. We actually had him come out in the middle of the United States and sing this song. Uh, in the break in Chicago at a concert that we were playing a few years back. So we've done it all. Uli John Roth joined us on this song. I think even um, George Lince of Dawkin joined us on this song one time in, in, Lo- in Los Angeles around 2008. So uh, where was I? What I'm trying to say is, and I've been trying to say it for 32 episodes, there's a lot that goes on and it's oftentimes about me and it should be because it starts with me <laughs> and it usually ends with me. But along the way, you need, absolutely need, geniuses like a Jimmy Chamberlain to go, hey, I get what you're doing. Let me take it to another level and another level and another level. And uh, it's and this is one of those tracks where you just stand back, and as I always say, I have the best seat in the house when it comes to Jimmy Chamberlain because I get to stand 15 feet away from him on stage and watch this man just tear it up.
5: What's that like for you to be able to witness something like that as it's happening? Like, do you, are you talk about the genius level, but— I think there has to be a level of appreciation from yourself being such an accomplished musician. Like, you're seeing it on a whole different scale than, like, I would with my civilian eyes and civilian ears. Well,
7: start here. How many hours did Jimmy Chamberlain practice to become Jimmy Chamberlain? How many Rush records? How many Led Zeppelin records did he listen to? What did he find that told him that what he was bringing to the table was different? who was around him that gave him encouragement. Certainly his mother in particular was very instrumental in encouraging him to play the drums. Jimmy's also got a brother, uh, Paul, who's a drummer who inspired him. It's, It's hard sometimes to appreciate the journey. Like think of everything that went into that take, the good times, the bad times, his time out of the band, him racing cars. I mean, I know when I work, I get kind of, visual images in my head or memories pop up as I'm doing a take. Who knows how that influences, you know, what you do in that exact moment that on some crazy quantum level translates to somebody on the other end of an MP3 somewhere that makes them feel something that they wouldn't otherwise feel and say, hey man, that guy, what that guy does makes me feel something that only that guy or that girl makes me feel. Artists in America by and large and we're seeing that change in the last few years. Artists, by and large, in America, for some crazy reason, and maybe it has to do with our our, our need for constant capitalism, tend to be underappreciated. Now, I know somebody holding a drink somewhere is going to sort of snort at me and say, what are you talking about? You live in a fancy house and everybody knows who you are. If you think of how rare it is to have a Jimmy Chamberlain, Because, look, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Every drummer in the world would be Jimmy Chamberlain if they could, but they can't because there's only one Jimmy Chamberlain. And I've seen it happen with my own eyes. When Jimmy Chamberlain meets another drummer at the level of a Jimmy Chamberlain, you see that respect because that guy or that girl knows he's the real deal doesn't mean he's better than them or not as good as them. It means they go, hey, you're one of us. You're in this very select group of people out of 8 billion people that knows not only how to play these things, but how to bring the emotion and the power. And don't forget, you know, your Average Smashing Pumpkins concert, Jimmy's up there playing, you know, an hour and 45 minutes. He's not exactly a spring chicken anymore. So to be at this point in his life, Zeitgeist, he was, you know, I think he would have been in his 40s. He's still playing at That level now. um, And you could argue uh, his time over time has even gotten better. So, to your question, Joe, I just find myself with a deep level of appreciation because maybe because I'm so close to it, I know what went into even getting that take. Everybody focuses on the, well, there it is. There's the take. I think of like, you know, the fact that he could have been a baby that day and after seven takes been like, I'm tired. You know, uh, I just want to go back to my hotel. Jimmy's the type of person says, if you want to do 800 takes, I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it till you get it. You t- And he trusts me to tell him, that's the one, that's the one. Think Just think of that responsibility. Jimmy Chamberlain, one of the greatest drummers in the history of rock and roll, looks across at me and goes, you decide, you're the guy I trust to tell me what is the magic take.
6: Well, much like his zeitgeist, I think you captured definitely something that as we've been speaking about in this episode is magic. Um, the song is a banger of a track and it really does just, make one feel quite a few different emotions going through. But starting my day, giving this another listen before we went, I was like, I'm I'm ready to A, tackle the day, but also kind of gives you a vibe every now and then, like maybe the greatest things aren't on the horizon, but it's going to be one hell of a journey.
7: Yeah, I mean, look, um, I became aware, I guess circa 2005-ish, that there was another narrative available to you as far as the way the world worked on the internet. And I'm not talking as simply as like conspiracy worldland. I'm talking that if you were willing to dig around and dive on the internet, there was a lot of alternate information about all sorts of things. I mean, whether it was the Lincoln assassination or the Kennedy assassination or all sorts of things. And I'd had enough experiences behind the curtain in entertainment and even in politics, however, briefly here and there, to know that the world as it was being shown to you on television was not as it was in reality. So I was already aware of that divide, and then that information created a greater divide in my mind. And around 2007, when I put out Zeitgeist, people were like, this is a really dark and ominous album, and as I've said prior— I didn't go far enough. I didn't think things would get as funky as they are now. The bright side of that is maybe change has come and, and change will ultimately be a good thing. But as we sit here right now, recording this particular podcast, uh, it seems to be trending in the wrong direction. Now, there might be people out there that feel completely the opposite. From my particular position, and maybe I'm out of touch with what goes on on the street, uh, it feels not great. So United States, to me, uh, signifies a couple things. One, the prescience to see that where we were going as a country was trending. And if you take my 2007 perspective and say, okay, 16 years later, how accurate was your perspective and was your, your sense that it was trending the wrong way accurate? Well, you'd say that was definitely accurate. I don't think many people could argue with me on that, even if I was talking about the tumult and the unrest that was due to follow. So there you have it. The other, the other thing I think that's valuable is art is not always there to make you uncomfortable, but that is one of the functions of art is to make you think, feel, and consider things that you might not otherwise think, feel, or consider. And when you try to tell artists that they can't probatively go into certain areas, they're like, oh, that's too dark. Oh, that's too sad, which I've heard repeatedly for 35 years. Look, the world is full of people wanting to give you what you want. We're going to the club and everything's going to be all right. And today's the greatest day you've ever lived. And go find those songs. But if you want the real, well, Smashing Pumpkins by and large has been a band over time that is more willing than not and more willing than the average band to give you something that's a little bit outside those coloring lines. And that's just who we are as people.
5: When you take a look at art in general, like to say something's too dark or too sad, can you get something that would be too bright or too happy. I mean, what it, it, it's all subjective and it all. And and to your point, it's all about what it creates inside of you. I mean, the art is there, but it's how it's interpreted and how it makes you feel and how it makes you think and how it gives you different perspectives in life. That really, that's the whole point. And I think that that's where United States is so good and the message that's there with the song and how pressing it was at the time and how it's still is very relevant to where I think our country is today. And I think, you know, you say you might not know what the person on the street is thinking. I think it's still very connected to what the vast majority of Americans are, are seeing right now. Clowns,
7: they make me happy. You know what makes me sad? And I love this band, and I love the, everybody in the band, and I've met them all. And uh, let's not forget that one of the band members actually played on the album Siamese Dream on the song Soma. The song Shiny Happy People by R.E.M., that makes me sad. My children love the song. Chloe loves the song and loves to sing the song in the car. And when they're all singing the song in the car, I, it makes me sad. So on that note, we'll be back next week with our very special final episode where we answer your questions. I give the last little bit of the narrative, all that's left, the last little kernel, and one more teaser for everyone. We will be playing, debuting, not only uh, of Wings, which is the final track on Zeitgeist, Heretofore Unheard, but we will be playing a song from the Volume 3 album, which is included in the Autumn Box Set, world premiering a song from that, which you can only get if you buy the box set. And those songs for the near future will not be available digitally. So only people who buy the box set vinyl will have access to these 10 extra songs. And for people following along, Volume one was the Rick Rubin Shiny No So Bright album. Seer was Volume Two. So volume three is in the box set. So if you want volume three, it's a very interesting record. Seven inch singles. It's on seven inch singles. So if you're a vinyl fan, it's all cool. All the mixes are in mono, and we will we will be I can't even talk anymore. I'm so tired from clown talking. We will be world premiering a song from the volume three record. Gentlemen. Thank you for today. I know we're very busy, as always, with the NWA. So off we go to our cluttered and crazy lives. But again, thank you. And thank you for everyone for listening. We'll see you next week for the final episode of 33.
4: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown.